Today on this episode of First Lady and Friends, we have a dear friend of mine, uh, Miss Tammy Pearson, who is a farmer, rancher, and a Beaver County Commissioner, and most of all, just a genuinely, incredibly wonderful and kind person. Let's get proximate. Welcome to the show, Tammy. Thanks, Abby. I appreciate it. We, um, you know, we talk a lot about growing up in, in rural Utah. I do, personally. And um, so I just am so thrilled to have you here. We can talk <laughs> rural Utah. We can talk ranching and farming. But but you're the real deal. Uh, you you have been ranching and farming for, for many years. But let's get into that. Where where did you grow up? Um and, you know, what's a little, what's your background? So I grew up in Hinkley in Millard County. So it's just west of Delta. You know, most people just say Delta, but I, I'm proud of Hinkley. Um, <laughs> and I've been there because we've been to all 248. Right, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And uh, so I grew up on a farm. Um, you know, my dad had a few acres and and we irrigated, we raised cows. I've milked cows. I've milked cows by hand. I've milked goats by hand. Um, both sets of grandparents had cattle, so we, we were part of a ranching family. We did that on the weekends and the summers. and go All, all in Delta? No. Um, my my mother's uh, parents were actually in Twila County out on the Sheep Rocks. Okay. She was, um, she was born to, uh, well, her, her dad, when he came out of World War I, uh, married and had a, his first wife, and she died in childbirth. Mm-hmm. And so that daughter was raised in Springville. And then he waited a few years, eight, ten years, before he married again and married my grandmother. And they had four daughters out on the ranch. So there was a whole flock of girls that helped do the ranch out on the sheep rocks. See, I know that's why we connected. I knew we were... <laughs> we. <laughs> We were kindred spirits because, you know, I grew up on a ranch with, and there are 10 kids in my family, two boys and eight girls. So we we did all the ranching. Yeah. So my dad kind of followed suit. So when he uh, met my mother, he was quite a bit old. He was eight years older than my mom and uh, drug her in from the ranch to town, which, you know, she was fine with that, but it was a, it was a new you know, new experience for her, but they also had four girls. So okay. I'm the oldest. I say I'm my dad's only son. Um, <laughs> I feel like I feel like that too, right? Because I was all about milking cows or goats or pitching hay or changing canvas dams out in the dirt ditch with the headlight, you know, or yep. flashlight, cleaning the house and washing dishes and that kind of stuff was not my cup of tea. <laughs> I would much prefer be out pitching or cleaning manure or yep. riding horses all day. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, so you're so then you moved to so your parents moved to Hinkley. Well, I when they were married, they they okay. settled in Hinkley. That's where my dad was from. Was okay. was Hinkley, and he he bought his his parents' farm and a couple other ones, and so we did you know we did all the farming and stuff. Um, when I was little, he was actually working for the other people that I called grandparents, which weren't blood relatives, but, um, funny story there. Well, not necessarily funny, but, uh, Ray and Daisy Skinner had, uh, a big ranch out on the Nevada line out to Deep Creek or Ibapaw. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's where their, their place was. And their only child would have been exactly the same age as my dad, mm-hmm. but he passed away when he was five. And so dad started working for him two or three years before mom, they got married. But when they got married, they were instantly like adopted. They were family. And then when they had me, then it was that sealed the deal because they had their first and only grandchild. And so we spent a lot of time that way. My, um, Dad's parents had both passed when he was younger. Um, well, his his dad died when I was eight months old, so I never I never knew him. And so Grandma and Grandpa Skinner were my grandparents, and so was Grandma and Grandpa Ecker. So we 
we were in Hinkley and we, you know, everything farming grew up in the stock shows, horse shows. Mom worked at the auction. Dad worked for some of the local ranchers. So always in that world. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's a world. It's a, it's a different world, I think, than a lot of people have experienced. So that's, I actually, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here, because I think it's important, um, to, to understand that. So tell me about, so then you, you grew up there and then, um, where did you meet your husband, Sean? (laughs) There's a lot of life in between there. Um, (laughs) okay, let's hear it. (laughs) So, uh, high school and that kind of stuff. I, I was just totally in over my head in Mm 4-H, same thing in FFA. Um, had decided that I was going to be a 4-H agent, okay. come hell or high water. That's what was going to happen. And so I did like 4-H interns, ran all the stock shows, you know, the county fair, different things like that, and did the summer internship all through high school, went to college at Utah State, came back every summer as a paid 4-H intern, and and that was super fun and uh, just Loved life at Utah State, you know, Animal Science well, Club. Well, of course. Of course we did. <laughs> yeah. Go Aggies. What's well, not to love at Utah State, right? Exactly. Uh, but anyway, so I I came back from Utah State and, and IPP, the Intermountain Power Plant, had come in. And so in lieu of taxes, they actually funded the 4-H program, the 4-H internship. Oh, interesting. So I came back and was working there, and I'd only worked there for – year and a half or, or two years, something like, well, not, yeah, not quite two years. And uh, I had a, a a member of my bishopric kept pestering me about, you know, needed to line me up with this guy from Minersville. And I'm like, nah, I got two or three other guys on the side and I don't need another <laughs> one. And and I was just not really that interested in, in going that way. And so anyway, uh carry on with our past conversation about concerts and dances and all that stuff. <laughs> um, there was a band that came to town for, for New Year's, and I was all excited because I had taught a swing country swing class in college at, at Logan, and so here was a country band coming to town for New Year's, and I didn't think nothing of it. Took a couple of my friends and went. And Sunday morning, my mom, mom says, well, how was the steak dance? And I says, I didn't go to the steak dance. And she goes, well, what dance did you go to? I said, I went to the bar. So and so, you know, I mean, here was, I can't remember now what the name of the band was, but they were pretty, you know, pretty popular around. And, oh, she was so mad at me. And and, uh, and she says, I am calling Clough Talbot. And I says, oh, really? What are you going to tell him? She goes, I'm telling him, line, line you up with that kid. <laughs> so so uh, I met my husband. You know, my future husband probably took us a month or two to get things coordinated. And and I always said um, he fell in love at first sight. And and a few months later, I got stuck in Minersville. So. <laughs> but, anyway, that's, yeah, that's a fantastic. Oh, and then you guys have three kids. We have three. Yep, yeah. we have three. We uh his family uh, was really established in Minersville, have a big cattle ranch north of Milford and, and a bunch of BLM allotments and big farms. And we had a, they had a dairy at the time. Um, and we, you know, we got married, lived in a little one room house for a year and a half or whatever. And um, we were married just about two years when we had our first boy, Taylor. And so we moved right up into a mobile home, you know, <laughs> moving right, on yeah, up, moving on up, <laughs> uh, through a mobile home in behind these parents' house, which all the rest of the kids had done that at some point or another yeah. too. And uh, we had uh, Taylor and Chandra three years later had my daughter, and, and then we finally built a house up, you know, just across the street, didn't move very far, built right in the middle of the feed yard, and uh, so we were close. His parents were, you know, were in their 40s when they had Sean. So he was the baby. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we were there to take care of him and, you know, do the yards and, you know, do everything yeah. they needed to do. And I wouldn't have had that any other way. They were wonderful people and full of 
piss and vinegar and there was plenty of <laughs> there was plenty of fireworks you know at some point in time you know because who doesn't work with cows that can't cuss and swear and we- that's the only words they understand. Right, right. <laughs> yep. No, I think your your story is not completely unique because I think anybody from r- rural Utah sort of gets that. I mean, we still live right next to Spencer's parents. Um, my parents live not too far away. Um, it's, it's it's just a wonderful world. It really is. I mean, it's it gives you a real sense of community. It gives you a real sense of belonging. I, I, it's, it's funny cause people, when we moved back to Fairview after going, being away to school and stuff, uh, I remember people asking, you know, what's, what's the best thing about going back home? And I said, family for sure. And I said, what's, what's the worst family for sure. <laughs> it's, like, it's always a little tricky. There's, there's lots of fun things like that, but it is, um, it's, it's something I think that the rest of the world can can look at and try to be more like just because of that sense of community that I think is being lost all over, all over you know more urban areas. I I totally agree. I I've never. I mean, I don't. I like to travel. I like to see things. I'm very shoot from the hip and adventurous yep. that kind of stuff. But I don't wander far from home. Yeah, I have planted roots. Literally, I mean, <laughs> yes. Uh, we were laughing the other day, planted trees when we first built our house. And I mean, they're 60, 80 feet tall wow. pine trees. And pine yeah. trees don't, you know. Uh, but that's home. I mean, yeah. I, and and like you said, I, I've invested in that in the community. I was raised to be neighborly and kind and worry about your neighbors, like if there's ever a tragedy or a death or you know you see you see someone struggling you're the first one at the door with a casserole dish or or a hundred dollar bill or a five dollar bill or whatever you know well and you know there you know what's happening because we're all uh, up in each other's business (laughs) (laughs) this is true (laughs) but in a good way mostly (laughs) but in a good way yes and 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 people um i think I think from a rural community, and I know me growing up, you tough it out. I mean, you figure out how to fix things and how to, you know, how to um, make things work, whether it's bailing wire or duct tape or, or just <laughs> call the neighbors and, you know, do a barn raising or whatever. I, you, You're strong, you're resilient, and mm-hmm. I think that is probably some of the most important qualities that we need to do especially this day and age absolutely and you know going back to that you know you're the first one on the doorstep you you took us over to this and you'll have to remind me her name this margie thompson margie's house and she in her 90s how old was she she just barely passed away this last oh, week. No. Just barely. Oh, I, I know I broke my heart, oh, and, I, and I didn't want to really even sad. say anything to you because I was like, I'm not telling anybody. Yeah, <laughs> but she, um, we went and visited just her. What the a sweetest sweet, woman sweet on earth! And yeah. and I've I've always you know because the last few years she's not been able to raise her garden, but she was one of those people that raised this little garden. And her husband's been gone for thirty years. And she was always delivering cookies and cooking and, and you know, even at that age. And so um, just bless her heart. I, you know, I'd stop. I, you know, it got less and less the last couple of years, especially with COVID, um, because she couldn't, you know, you couldn't have people in her house all the yeah. time. But um, just sweet, you know, kind people. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, there's communities, whether it's urban or rural, that have those same quality of people that I agree. sincerely care and and are worried about their neighbors and the community. Yeah, I agree. Well, um, I want to continue talking about uh, this ranching and what maybe what it's done. You know, you talked about COVID. Um, I, I want to. I want you to talk about what that has done and this drought has done to to our farmers and ranchers right now. So um, we'll be right back. We're back here with Tammy Pearson, who is a farmer, a rancher, a county commissioner in in Beaver County. Um, Let's talk about the drought 
and COVID. I mean, we've had basically a a double whammy for for our farmers and ranchers. I mean, for everyone, but particularly um, our farmers and ranchers in rural Utah and throughout the state. Um, what's it been like? What's what did COVID do? And now, talk to us about the drought. So it's kind of funny, you know, COVID personally doesn't touch you as a farmer and rancher, right? right. I mean, um, unless you're the one that got sick and ends up in bed with it, but you, you get up, you do chores, life goes on. <laughs> I mean, there's just no, there's no hiding, hiding in the house from it. Um, obviously, you know, I was still out cutting ice and hauling salt and cutting hay and putting hay up and and dealing with cattle and that kind of stuff. The things that really bothered us, probably more so than anything, is, um, you know, the prices of hay, the prices of beef, um, trying to get equipment and parts Mm -hmm. in. I'd be down, like even even today, I've got a well down that I've been waiting on parts for six weeks. Wow. So the drought on top of not having a well running is just kicking my butt <laughs> like literally yeah. so i've got right now i've got 80 acres that i can't do anything with it's just sitting there waiting to get water back on it i've got another 90 acre pivot that that we have no water at all because it's part of that high water so um the drought is probably been way more damaging to us as you know as a farmer and rancher the BLM, which is Bureau of Land Management, where we run, we have uh, public lands and we run cattle on the allotments, are talking about winter range unless something really changes. So I'm really thankful that the monsoon season's been here. And, yeah. and I'm hoping it's not too late in the game that it will help the ranges because it's not, it's not just cattle that's being affected it's the wildlife it's the wild horses it's it's every little critter that exists on you know on the public land and so i'm hoping that some of these monsoons is going to make a little bit of a difference but um blm's talking that in southern utah there will be no winter range for for livestock wow like everybody's going to keep their cows and their sheep home and feed them or they're going to the auction. Which, as I say, so you, you say that and it sounds, you know, maybe not too terrible to people unless you understand that because of the drought, again, there's not a lot of hay. No. And the hay that is available is... Going to be really pricey. In, extremely expensive right now. So so to, to feed, to, to try to make a living or try to you know, eke out an existence right. here is, is right. really tough. And, and we say, okay, you know, I, we hear a lot of, from our friends um, around the Wasatch Front that maybe don't understand how it all works, but, you know, these farmers and ranchers are using this water and, and we look around and say, um, your grass and your lawn is not feeding anyone. <laughs> right, right. But the farmers and ranchers are feeding us. <laughs> right. And I, and I think that, it's a it's an easy concept for you and I to understand right right but i think that the the concept that that amount of water is just being dumped on the ground it's a green field they don't understand that yeah the process that, the process and the chain of events of how that full full life circle comes around yeah and feeds the world yeah. right so like with the alpha alpha and that you're you're not only feeding cattle sheep dairy cattle horses whatever else those in turn are producing whether it's protein milk products um uh, uh, jobs uh, jobs <laughs> a lifestyle um you know there's a lot of people that have hobby animals right there might be a lot of those people that give up those hobby animals now because of the price of hay yeah. I mean, it. I know that's one of the reasons that there's so many wild horses right now on the range because 10 years ago when prices of hay went up so hard, so high, people just went out in the West Desert and dumped horses. Yeah, I want to talk about that. <laughs> we can get into that because um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about that. But before we do, let's let's talk about this um, 
you know, what do you see as the future of, of farming and ranching here? Um, look, the, the average age for farmers in Utah, you probably know it, 56.3 years of age. So that's the average age of, of a farmer and rancher right now. So there, there aren't going to be a lot of farmers and ranchers left in a few right. years. Right. Um, and so what do you see as, as the future well, I it I kind of have to liken it to, you know, even law enforcement. It mm. it's a similar concept. It, it's it's almost like a calling, mm. you know, and and yeah. like kids, you know, they all think it's all cool and whatever for a little while till they get to the age of where they understand the 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 work that's needed or required. It's a 24/7 365-day job. Yeah. There's no time off. I had well, a really good friend that told me there's no such things as Sundays and vacations and time off west of the Mississippi. <laughs> That's true. I mean, that, it is a concept that I don't know that people fully grasp No. Um, when you haven't lived it. I mean, my I tell people when I was a kid, I remember taking two vacations my whole childhood. And one was for a funeral down in Arizona for my dad's grandmother. And the other one was right before my oldest brother went on his mission. We went to Jackson Hole. The family went and took a trailer up and camped in Jackson Hole. And that's it. I mean, other than that, it was, you know, maybe up on our on the mountain right behind our house. And then we'd we'd try to exchange with um, other neighbors and other farmers that would come and take care of our our animals while we were gone. But when you're when you're farming and ranching, especially ranching, because, you know, if you're if you have animals, they still have to eat. Right, you can't put them on autopilot. No. It's not a nine to five, you know, and and you shut the lights off and lock the office door. It's not the same, you know. It's just not the same thing. Um, and I and and kids like that, and and they love it. Like my grandkids would just move in with grandma. They want to yeah. stay there and and whatever. Um, but when you get to the business end of it, that's where I said it has to be a calling. I mean, because there's there's not very many farmers and ranchers that that it's a lucrative, you know, big money business. I mean, there there is big business in agriculture, and there have been some people that have been able to do that, um, but they've bought up all the little guys and. And then they've moved on, and and there's it's a different it's just a different world. But, um, you know, trying to find workers that want to dig post holes and get a shovel and you know and start mucking crails and stuff by hand, nobody wants to do that. Yeah, nobody wants to do it's that. It's hard. It's hard work. Yeah. Even yeah. even even um, on the, you know, when we're driving cows. Mm-hmm. Everybody says, "Oh, give me, call me, and we'll come help you drive cows. We'll, we'll help you, you know, mark and brand and castrate and and all of that kind of stuff." And uh, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not sure that I can manage somebody that you have to tell them every breath to breathe and every step to take. I don't think I have the patience for that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, so you can true. come sit on the fence and watch. We used to, we used to have <laughs> we used to have cousins come. Uh, to the ranch and you want to get in on all that stuff and I, I know that's how my dad felt it's like um, love you and I know you truly do want to help it's just more work for us <laughs> it, it, it really is and it's it's hilarious that you know people they want to do it and 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 the way we run cattle I mean we run through a squeeze chute and down an alley and 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 those they have to trade somebody off in the back that's run those calves through the cows you wouldn't dare put somebody in there that doesn't yeah. know what they're doing and we don't have wild cows i mean we've got yeah. our cows are pretty mellow i mean we work them all the time and and they're they're pretty calm and quiet once in a while you know you get a wild one and i'm like cut her out she's hamburger she's going to the auction next <laughs> next week cuz i ain't dealing with a i mean i'm too old to deal with a mean cow she's gone and uh, but but to put somebody in the back of a chute to run these calves up they come out and i mean you can't even tell what color their eyes are much less what color clothes <laughs> there was you know they've been rolled in the dirt and spit out and 
crapped at and hit, you know, a few times. And you know what I'm talking about. I do exactly. That's why I'm over here laughing. Like, it's it's not for the faint of heart. No, it's this really is true. not. This is true. Um, also, so your your husband Sean, um, he passed away. 11 years ago. Yeah. yeah. And uh, after a, a battle with, with cancer. Right. So not only are you doing this, you know, you, you were doing this as a family and as a team, you and your husband and your kids, but now you're doing it, you. I, I know your kids are still involved. Yeah. Um, but, but of our 33,000 plus farmers in this state, about a third of them are women. So tell me, I think it's very unique that you're that you're running this operation, basically. Well, I have help. I'm not yeah. doing it by myself, obviously. Um, but I, it was a family operation when I came into it. Um, we, before my husband passed, uh, we bought both of his brothers out, okay. and so he still has a sister, and uh, her her son. Uh, come out of college and you know wanted to wanted to stay and so um, obviously right now he's basically the manager you know because he's there he's there all the time um, he's since married the last eight nine years and uh, so his wife helps here and there and then his mom is still there and she does the bookkeeping and that and then we've got hired help to boot all of my kids have jobs like paying jobs <laughs> that's and that's i think a, something that people don't understand either i mean my whole time growing up my right. dad had another job oh yeah Guaranteed. so it wasn't yeah. yeah again like you say it's a calling well there's kind of a there's kind of a joke that says any successful farmer has a wife that has a job in town <laughs> right because that's where you get that's where you get your insurance hopefully that's where you get your you know your regular t- weekly pay or monthly pay or or whatever and that's just not a joke i mean that's no. really the, you know if if you're if you're lucky enough to have a job in town that and that's basically what i'm doing as a county commissioner yeah. i mean there was there was a lot of different reasons why i made the decision to to be a county commissioner i still can't believe i'm sitting in that position but um I didn't know where we were going to go. I mean, honestly, my we'd lost my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, and both both of my brother-in-laws to cancer, and then wow. my husband. So Minersville is definitely a downwinder's pocket. Wow. So the only one left standing is is his sister. Okay. And and so anyway, I I, I mean, I was really nervous about you know how are we going to do that, and uh, and then. You know, there was a lot of other issues that drug me into being, you know, in in the commission. But um, that was part of it, probably something to focus on something bigger than myself, bigger than my own problems. Um, it it kind of kicked me into self-preservation mode, I think, because you may have to make that choice daily mm-hmm. to put one foot in front of the other and be happy. And and I think you had to focus on I had to, I should just say me. I had to focus on something other than my own problems. Wow. Um so you've talked a little bit about and I've I've mentioned that you are a county commissioner. I wanna get into that, how you got into that again a little bit more on the whys and, and what's going on there. Um and I think that's a whole nother <sighs> Um, Out of body experience, yes, yeah. <laughs> it's a whole nother experience uh, for sure. Right. Um, being first of all in rural Utah, uh, it's a, it's a different experience to be in government and to be a woman in government in rural Utah is even more unique. So um, let's talk about that when we come right back. We're back here on First Lady and Friends with my friend Tammy Pearson. So you are currently the Beaver County Commissioner. And um, so how did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> so most of us sort of fall into politics. And in rural Utah, it's usually just because it's your turn. Oh, I did not fall. I was pushed. <laughs> well, that too. Yes. Actually. Yes. Um, 
you know, it's one one of those things that you don't really dare admit that you caved under peer pressure. But yeah. I that's kind of where it was at. Um, we we had a commissioner, and and historically, Minersville had always been, you know, the agricultural leg to the you know to the commission. Um, our county has eighty seven percent public land, seventy yeah. seven federal. I just don't think people understand that. No. And, and and even here on the Wasatch Front, especially when you're not from Utah, you you really don't understand that. But even here on the Wasatch Front, people don't understand what that means right. to, to a county. So t- talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, so um, 77% of it is federal. So either Bureau of Land Management or Forest Service. Then 10% is CITLA, state trust lands. So all of that is tied to grazing, livestock grazing, uh, mining, uh, hunting, fishing, you know, timber, all of the public land, the the multiple use concept, right? And so uh, recreation, camping, all of those things are tied to public lands. So historically, the Minersville Commissioner was kind of that person. Um, In my mind... That's the most important thing that's going on in our county, right? Because yeah. the majority of people are, are, are our residents actually live either close to the towns. We have three incorporated towns, and we have some other communities and some, you know, zoned residential. And then and a lot of people live out on the farms and different things. But we have Beaver, Minersville, and Milford that are incorporated. And they have mayors and city councils that worry about city business, right? And so to me, you know, the the most important thing for a county commissioner should be county issues. Mm-hmm. And and so our commissioner was retiring and it was kind of me that twisted his arm and talked him into running when he ran and he'd served four terms. He he'd been in there 16 years. And he just says, "I I can't. I'm done," you know. And uh, so unbeknownst to me because I never in my wildest dreams I'd never even considered it I'd always been active I've always voted I've always done that kind of stuff I'd served on planning and zoning I've served on every board in the world fair board and landfill board different things like that but never even remotely considered this and unbeknownst to me he'd been out talking to people and 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 thought he was kind of training me without me knowing it and obviously I was not paying much attention but uh, <laughs> or I'd have been run screaming out of there um, but he he wanted me to run and and I'm like I'm trying to find anybody else and their dog to run because I wouldn't no that's not going to happen and and my husband had had, had passed uh, three or four years earlier than that and I just was barely keeping my head above water you know just doing the stuff that I was doing and Anyway, and then all the friends and neighbors and everybody else came and begged and pleaded. And I sat in the parking lot literally for 45 minutes talking myself into it and out of it and into it and out of it before I turned in my application the last 15 minutes of the the day, right before the, the deadline. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, And I made it anyway. And so I've just kind of... I, you know, I try not to do anything halfway. I just, yeah. you know, I knew what need, or I thought I should know what needed to be done and where our focus was. And so um, I've enjoyed it. I've loved, you know, most every minute of it. I don't like politics. I think politics are ugly and yeah. and they get in the way of getting good things done. Exactly. But also in the political world, I've made some amazing friends that I have a lot of faith in. And uh, I've just... Well, Rebecca Benali from San Juan County, she and I both went in at the same time, and we became very good friends, and uh, we were, I think, we were the only women commissioners. There was a few council members around, but they weren't, they're not as active sometimes, especially in the Utah Association of Counties as what the commissioners are, and uh, the rural commissioners have a really unique role that we seem to be our own best lobbyists. Mm-hmm. 
And and so the the commissioners are super active with the state legislature, with the governor and and their office and that. And so I've just kind of tried to bully my way through and just <laughs> like a bull in a china shop kind of thing, you know, just I don't know what I've never been accused of being politically correct. <laughs> and and uh, but just try and figure out how to do things best for not only Beaver County, but as a whole, my neighbors and public lands and, and agriculture and those kind of things. So, Are you, maybe you don't, you should probably do know this. Do you, are you the first woman commissioner in Beaver? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, there couldn't have been anybody before oh, you, yeah. right? Yeah. There's been a couple, you know, a handful of like city council members and stuff like that. Um, there was one mayor in Minersville years back that was a woman. Okay. Um, but the, I was the first woman commissioner in all of Southern Utah. I mean, Rebecca and I, that I know of. I, cause I, and we had one in Sam Pete and she was great for, for a she long She was time. really good. Yeah, uh, Claudia. Yeah, she was still, Claudia was in there when I went in. She, she yeah. was fantastic. Um, and I think it's really important because, you know, as we toured around, you know, obviously we've, we live in rural Utah. We've, um, we spent our whole childhoods in, in rural Utah, so we get it. But um, that was one thing I think that really stuck out to me as we really traveled around is um, there were just not that many women involved in, in right. political office in rural Utah. And I, I think that's sad. And And so I think what you're doing is actually – really remarkable because again i think and the the research bears this out it takes a lot for women to run you talk about all the friends and neighbors and people that pushed and pushed and pushed you to do it that's what it takes to get you know oh, yeah. a, a man will get in there and say i'm as qualified as they come even though he <laughs> may not be but um but a woman it takes a really it takes a huge push and it takes many many people asking her to run before she before she does it. So I think it's um, really important for women, um, especially in rural Utah, to be able to have a voice there right. and, and to express that. So I really think it's amazing what you're doing. But let's talk. You, you mentioned wild horses. And well, it's I'm, a hot topic right it now. It is such a hot topic. And we don't want to get into politics at all here. And you're not interested in that, and I'm not. But I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about, especially people that don't live in sort of even, not even all of rural Utah, but specifically central and southern Utah and sort of western Utah, because that's where a lot of the, um, that BLM land is that you talked yeah, about. the HMAs, the herd management areas. Yeah. And that's where a lot of these... I put wild in quotes horses <laughs> because what you said was a lot of times in, and it was several years ago when there was another economic downturn around 2008. I, that's when I first heard about it. But a lot of folks who had horses, who had um, animals, um, burrows, any, any of these things couldn't feed them and just went out and dumped them right, right. out in these lands. Right. And so these are not, you know, men from Snowy River, wild horses. No, that were born and bred here for hundreds of years. No, yeah. they're not. Um, a lot of the horses, you know, originated from, you know, the farmers, the ranchers, the miners, different things over the over the last population of the West, yeah. so to speak. Um, even there's very little even of the old Spanish breed from when the Spanish were were here. Um the pro the problem that I think is hitting, you know, hitting hard right now is the drought's going to accelerate any impact on the range, and uh, the horses specifically, if if they are not managed, can do a lot of negative impact on on uh, riparian areas, the you know the native springs, and and the vegetation on the range itself, and so. Um, you know, there, there's a concept from some of the activist groups that, you know, they want to say, oh, everybody hates horses and, you know, you're just trying to eradicate them. And that's not the case by any stretch of the imagination. 
there probably isn't anybody on this planet, especially in Utah, that takes more pictures of horses. And I and I love the horses. Uh, we haul we haul water. We haul uh, protein feed during the winter. I cut ice all winter. You know when it's cold. But the problem is, the horses are out there twenty four seven, three three sixty five. And they're in certain areas, and and anybody that that understands any kind of range management would realizes that those you know they they follow the water, they follow the feed, and they can basically go wherever they want. So they're not necessarily where the herd management area is, right. um, where that's the total opposite of what livestock are managed. Livestock are managed to specific numbers specific dates and on a rotation system to different pastures. And so that doesn't happen with the horses. Um, that's why there is a, they call it an AML as appropriate management level. Uh, that was, that was determined back in 1971 when the wild horse and burrow act was, was um, passed in Congress. And, and so basically that's all we've got to go by on that. And whether you like it or you don't like, the appropriate management level. I think that people would find out right now if they did a new assessment on that, that appropriate mat, that AML would be way lower yeah. because, because of, you know, where the herd sizes are. So in Utah, I think I can't remember the exact numbers. I'm not a numbers girl, but um, in Utah, I think we're only supposed to have like 3000 horses and we're upwards of, you know, close to six you know, statewide, um, we are nothing compared to Nevada. I mean, Nevada is literally ground zero. I've been out in the Elko and the Ely districts, and you cannot imagine the damage that's happened there. Places that have not seen a cow in 30 years look like a, a concrete parking lot. Wow. Um, what's really frightening about that kind of stuff is – Nevada and Utah specifically, and the West Deserts where the horses are, are the lowest rainfall. They're the, I mean, our precip, annual precip, is the two lowest states of the, of the whole nation, right? Yeah. And that's where these horses are, and and so there's no recovery on on the on the range. There's no chance of of just you know having wet years like what they do in the Midwest or or, you know, Oregon, Washington, and that kind of stuff. And so um, the mechanical treatments, it's not irrigated pasture. You can't run out there, drop a well, and start irrigating these millions of acres that the impacts are. So really the only management that we have is is gathers, um, try and do some sort of fertility treatment. There's a lot of new stuff coming in with Gonacon, PZP, different things like that. And I'm probably getting too far into the weeds. <laughs> um, IUDs, things mm-hmm. like that, that they can use on, on and I'm hoping um, herds like the, you know, like the Anaki and that, that they're going to be able to do those kind of treatments to keep that herd size down. Yeah, that's, I think it's really important though to for people to really understand. I think if you're not involved in it, you really are just hearing little media snippets and you really aren't understanding the full impact of what's going on out there um, and how important it is for the, like you said, for the entire ecosystem out there. It, it is. It's, it, people, I mean, talk about being environmentally conscious. <laughs> right. And I've said this, you know, years ago when, when I first got into, you know, talking about this kind of thing, um, I'm out there every day. I can see the impacts every single day. And and I do the same thing with my cattle. If if I see the grass is getting to a certain level, you pull the cows off. You take them home, right? Or you move pastures so you don't do that that permanent damage. And you know, one of one of the things that that I've said over the years is if we are not careful, especially with the horses, um it's going to be one of the worst man-made natural, you know, man-made disasters and a, and a total ecosystem crash. Because I don't think anybody's really uh, quantifying the impacts to the little critters, like mm-hmm. 
jackrabbits, cottontails, lizards, coyotes, foxes, whatever is out there. You know, you get that kind of impact. The horse is the last thing that shows, you know, physically shows a hardship. Yeah. Um, you know, cows and sheep, that's the low-hanging fruit. They can move them off, you know, bring them in and feed them. The horses are out there by themselves, and there really is no way of fixing that if yeah. they get to a certain point. Yeah, no, I think that's really um, important. So what else, what are some other things that are going on that you think, it, you know, in in the rural Utah world that that other folks should know about? Uh, we love our homes, <laughs> you know, we yeah. love our lifestyle. Um, I think that we all are very conscious and very careful with how we treat natural resources, our public lands and those kind of things. Um, we want to keep our kids, you know, we don't want, that's been, you know, one of the coats that all the rural commissioners have said for years, our, our biggest import, our export is our kids. Yep. And we'd like to be able to create jobs that, you know, they can stay here. That's not what a senior wants to hear. You know, I think most of your they, seniors want they to They come just, back, though. We okay, did. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they do. I, You know, it, they get out, get through with college, and they start raising their families, and they want to come home. Well, know? that's that's exactly what happened to us. So we were in um, – we'd gone to, to Utah State. We'd gone to uh, back to Virginia to law school. We came back, um, and we're looking for a place. And, of course, you know, I was like, both of us, we're never going back home. We're not going back to rural Utah. No, we're ready to move on. We're, we're, you know, we got big britches now, and we're, <laughs> we're ready to go. And uh, he, we were, I think I well, had my two first boys. We had our first boys in Virginia, and our third boy was born and we were living in Fruit Heights up in Davis County, and he was he was working in Salt Lake at, at a law firm. And I just had this moment after I had Adam, and it was like, I mean, partly postpartum, but partly like, <laughs> uh, you know, a real kick in the pants to say, you know, here you are sitting on this fourth of an acre in Fruit Heights. You got to run through 600 acres every day. Right. You got to go jump on a horse and run up the 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 mountain anytime you got overwhelmed or, you know, whatever. And I thought, I cannot do this to my boys. I can't have them grow up Cornered on this. in a backyard <laughs> that you can't look through the fence. <laughs> That's exactly it. And so we, we decided it was a tough decision because, again, you know, you have to really want to live in rural Utah oh, yeah. to make it work. Um, you know, huge cuts in pay um, to, to go back. And, and so that's what we did. We, you know, we headed back and, you know, it's been the best thing in the world for our kids to, to grow up there. But, but I think you're right. You know, we, we look around in rural Utah and say, how can this continue? Can we have our kids and our grandkids around us? Because really and truly, I think when you ask people what they really want, what makes them happy, that's it. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> guaranteed. I think one of our biggest hurdles right now, and I think COVID probably is what hit rural Utah, not, you know, not so much the farmers, but, but rural Utah in general, when, when the k- kids came home to do school and mm-hmm. they had to do everything online, there was no broadband. Mm-hmm. Like no capabilities of that. Um, we've had a lot of discussions. Beaver County's got, kind of gone outside the box, you know, trying to figure out how to get broadband in there. None of the the communication companies would bite. They're just like, oh, you guys are too little. It's not worth the bother. Um, so we went to the legislature. We've we've got a company that's got a completely different. Uh, way of bringing it in it's not by line it's more the satellite dishes and different things like that and a higher quality mm-hmm. and so we but but to tell the story if you have a family that has more than one child right nobody can be on the comp- more than one person on the computer because the wi-fi wouldn't ca- carry it oh really so wow. a lot of these kids are going to the school sitting in a parking lot trying to do their chromebooks Wow. From the Wi-Fi off the schools or the hospital or and that and this is countywide. I mean, it was like impossible for these kids 
to keep up with their homework. We have a new commissioner that's got like seven kids. I don't think they were all home at the time. One was on a mission or whatever. And he goes, it was crazy. They had Couldn't to take turns. It. It, it, and, and even to this day, you can't do it. You know, and uh, our National Association of Counties put out an app called Test It for all the county, you know, and and they, they said it's it's wonderful. It's a wonderful app. And it tests your, your broadband. You can't even pull it up in Beaver County. <laughs> like, it's there. It's there. But it doesn't work, and it's supposed to. So when you log in, or you, you know, you, you, however you do it. Anyway, you open the app, right, and you punch it, punch it in. You have to hit Cedar City before it'll download. Wow! Right, and that's supposed yeah. to mark how spotty your broadband is. And I'm like, well, it's spotty. It's definitely spotty. <laughs> <laughs> we don't even have one spot in we, Beaver County. We don't even need to ask the app for that. <laughs> right, right. But that they were trying to do that and then map it out, you know, mm. nationally. So you knew where the where the low spots are. Yeah. Yeah. We're not even on the map. Yeah. yeah that's, so, yeah, that's an issue. And I think that is one thing the legislature is going to, can you address well, that's what I, it sounds the like. governor specifically you know that was one of his when when I was with the you know the transition team that was one of the big things for rural Utah that we were you know that was one of our big asses statewide broadband you know yeah. trying to get that but but here's the key that I think that would bring to rural Utah specifically are the good paying jobs yeah and that's what we, you know, the, they've been talking about, too, is because we can take, you know, somebody like us who grew up in rural Utah, who was living on the Wasatch Front, could then take the job that they're doing. Home I mean, them. not every yep. job can do that, but there are a lot that can. A and lot. a lot more that we realize can now that we didn't know could before. Exactly. <laughs> that's one thing that COVID's opened our eyes to, I yep. think, are, are the possibilities of of working from home what do they call it? A hybrid job of yeah. some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that you can do part of it online, part of it in, you know, in person. Yeah. And and it, it did open our eyes to a lot of those kind of opportunities. And I think there's a lot of companies that have really taken advantage of that. Yeah. And I got to say, you know, the governor specifically has said, you know, if we can work from home and we can use some of these state jobs and these other ones, then let's do it. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't been... I mean I think we've we've shown that it, it works and we've shown that, you know, people are still very productive. In fact, you know, the studies that they did they were actually more productive. Yeah. Um so it was yeah, it works out. And I think that's it's important for people to understand that rural Utah has those unique needs um that, that you don't always think about. So um Let's let's talk about Beaver County a little bit more. Uh, and I think some of us have these these fun things in our counties that we get really excited. That's what I think that was so what was so much fun about the tour was that we'd go to somewhere and they're like they can't wait to show you what's cool in their county or right. what's cool in their city or what you know what they have going on. What our own little unique things are, and everybody does. That's what's so oh, yeah. fun about it. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I think most people on the Wasatch Front have at least those that are heading to St. George and 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 for those of you that don't know there actually is a huge part of our state between Payson and St. George <laughs> <laughs> including San Pete and Beaver counties. Right, right. People forget that. People think that, you know, my kids are in Cedar City going to school and they're like, "Oh, that's so nice. They can just pop home for dinner." And I'm like, "You know, it's like 3 hours away, right?" <laughs> uh, so, but Talk to us about the creamery. Were you you had to have been in on the the sort of the conception of of the creamery that everyone loves to stop at now? Right. So so I wasn't really part of the conception part of it, but just getting you know getting them on the ground because because the the cheese plants what we used to call it was just this tiny little room, and and it it was just crazy the amount of of people stopping there. I mean everybody knew about it. And you stopped and got a bag of curd and, a, and an ice cream cone, and then they had a little tight. And there was always twenty people in it, and it was no bigger than this this room that we're in right now, and and just crowded. But everybody knew about it. And so when um, DFA came, Dairy Farmers of America came and talked to us about it. 
you know, there was there were some hurdles trying to get it done. They talked about trying to to do a, a an exit, you know, there somewhere, and and I'm like, oh no, and it's not at the exit. That's no, what's so funny about no. it. You really have to kind of wind you through town wind to find it. Town. But that's by that's by design, yeah, because. You know, all of our little towns, it kind of goes back to the old Disney movie cars. Yeah. You know, the, the, the freeway took out the old Route 66. Yeah. All of our little towns, the main streets are, are dead or dying or, or somewhere in between. And, um, you know, there's a lot of good little, nice little buildings that are open, are, are available to open for all these cute little shops or whatever you wanted to put in there, some sort of retail and live in main street up again. And so um, they were talking about that. There really isn't any room to put an exit there anyway. And I said, what we need is, is just people to come to Beaver and fall in love with Beaver County. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and that's happened. I, I mean, I don't think the creamery, they've got a few bulletins up, but boy, everybody, you, yeah. You see that place and it's curiosity. It was the same way when they put Cabela's on the hill. That was, yeah. I mean, that was better than going to Disneyland, right? <laughs> I mean, for me, but um, we've got our little ski resort up on the mountain and they have just thrived. They've been open again now for 10 years and they are just, oh, they've got the best little chefs and some cool housing, you know, the VRBOs kind of stuff. And and then um, we've done quite a bit with tourism. The Ramblers is our is our new title for uh, for Beaver County, but we've got a, a really good trail system for ATVs. We've got biking trails. We've got a, a bunch of that kind of stuff going on. Um, just our restaurants down there are really awesome restaurants. They are. They're really good. <laughs> They're and so I think good. <laughs> it's the perfect place to stop for, you know, talk about Route 66. I mean, like, Sam Pete completely missed out because it didn't even get I-15. It used to be on, you know, it's on 89. It's on 89. And when yep. I-15 came in all those years ago. It just took everything it, I mean, we just, Sam Pete has really struggled. Well, I'll give you a hint. This will give you a really good tourism thing. Let Tesla come in and put, put a bunch of... Oh, the... <laughs> Plugins. <laughs> I don't even know what they charging, charging stations, stations or whatever. So they've just they've just done that. They're um, um, we've got the new Forge project that that we got all the funding from with the University of Utah. And they're down there um, drilling wells. We you know the west side of the county is just booming. It's more of the industrial stuff besides you know ranching and farming and that. But we've got the we've got the windmills. We've got the railroad. We've got Solar farms, crazy, you know, geothermal, hydro plants. Um, you guys were down here well, we a couple had, months ago. Yeah, we were down there. and You should come more often because we, you brought the rain. Oh, good. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. We haven't seen it much up here, so we're, we're not good luck anymore. But, you know, we, when we were down there not too long ago, there are some really innovative things going around on down there around agriculture. Oh yeah. I mean, not only are we doing some of this power stuff, but so there is this these pig farms. And these pig farms are creating natural gas. Right. Through the manure that goes into the lagoons. That goes into the lagoons. They pipe that, they they clean it up and they literally Plug it into the the Kern river pipeline, the line that goes yeah. to California. So yeah, you're selling, it, you're selling gas made by our pigs. Right, right. It, it's, it's really, genius. really innovative and an incredibly. Um, I, I think it, people would just be really surprised um, to see all the things that are going on in rural Utah. And I, and I think it's a way. Again, it's jobs. It's a right. way for people to stay there. It's a way for people to do. Um, to make a living in rural Utah and and to be able to stay there with their families like they like most of them want to right. so and I and I think you're right I think that that's the one thing about most of us rural people is you got to have two or three or four jobs yeah you, know, you got to wear a lot of different hats and 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 we've been tough you've had to be to try and make a living and keep your family there but what is it to what is it that's the mother of? Oh, I can't. The mother of an of 
Yeah, no, I'm going to have you all screwed up on it, too. Um, What is that saying? We'll think of it. Yeah, I've blanked out now, but but, uh, you've just got to try and figure it out, you know, because the government's not going to fix everything for you. And that's, you know, I think that's, you know, that's a mentality that we avoid. Yeah. Um, sure. in rural Utah and and so people have very independent very independent and self-sufficient and resilient you yeah. know because it's just like it's just like farming this drought even as bad as it is right now that's not our first or our last it's been going on for years off and on it's going to come again and, and, and it's going to just keep coming back around so you got to figure out a way yeah. a way through it or yeah. around it well I think you know we I think in rural Utah we have a lot to to teach the rest of the world and and you know I think we can learn from each other and I think that's a beautiful thing and you know and and that's what I think has been so lovely and I'm so glad that you came on here because um it's a, it's a story we need to tell and you have an incredible story to tell so thank you <laughs> well I I appreciate you um offering me the chance to tell the story it's a little murky in some places and (laughs) it's never spit shine much it's kind of hard it's kind of hard to shine it up but um it's real and that's what we love about it so thank you tammy this has been just such a pleasure for me so thanks for being with us today thank you too abby